0: org now let's open up the word of God together for today's message all right if you would open up your Bibles now to Mark chapter 15 we are going to be looking at verses 1 through 5 today if you do not have a Bible we got Bibles in the back there that's our gift to you we want you to take that home and have the word of God in your hand all right Um, as you turn there let me review from last Sunday So we carefully considered Peter's denial of Jesus, and it's important to note here that Peter, he didn't just deny Jesus once or even twice, but three times. He denied him three times. So what led to Peter's betrayal? Well, we learned several things about what not to do. Key point from last week, Peter talked too much He listened very little. He refused to pray. Mmm, that's that's never good. He acted too fast, and he followed Jesus at a distance. So in other words, Pete represents you and me. We all do that, don't we? You guys are out of practice. I've been gone for a couple weeks, and you're all out of practice. That was a great spot for an amen. amen. Thank you. You guys act like I'm the only one that this this stuff impacts. <coughs> I got my eye on you. No, we we have, haven't we? we? We've all done these things at one time or another, and all of those things they set Peter up for failure. Jesus repeatedly tried to speak into his life, but Pete wouldn't listen. Peter has a bad case of the normals, just like all of us at one time or another. And at those times, see, here's the thing. We truly think we're right, just like Peter. And dear friends, when you think you are right and you've got godly people telling you that you're not, that's when you're also the most deceived. We become dangerous people when we start asserting our rights. I mean, Peter is exhibit A. I mean, he starts waving a weapon around just like a madman demanding that things go our way. And God calls this foolishness in scripture. Peter was a fool at that moment. And when you're right in your own eyes, but you're a fool in everyone else's. And at the end of the day, this whole thing it boils down to the sin of pride. It's just pride. Now we may not verbally say things like this, but but Oftentimes, our motive is something like this. You know, Dustin, if, if people would just do what I say, everything would just be fine. If people would just straighten up and fall in line, and yet it's written, Proverbs sixteen two, all a person's ways seem right to him. Not God, not other godly people around you. It's, they seem right to you. But Jesus, in his grace, see, he didn't press Peter. Um, he didn't press the issue with Peter last week, did he? So we're going to dive right into key point number one this morning. And this is so big. Jesus loved Peter enough to let him fail. Jesus loved Peter enough to let him fail. Jesus did what he could to protect Peter. But see, once again, Peter did not want protecting. And we saw the character of Peter, and that, that brought us to a, a key point from last week as well. Character is, de- is demonstrated by what you're not prepared for. Character is revealed by your spontaneous response to a surprise situation. See, Peter was caught off guard by a maid who told everybody the truth. So let me ask you, what comes out of your mouth when you're unaware and you're caught off guard, or maybe when you're scared, or you're surprised, or fearful. Amen. <laughs> See, what comes, out of, what comes out of your mouth is revealed what's deep into your heart. Now, that's all a review from last week. If you did miss that sermon, it's on the website. Today, we're going to meet a new person in, in the narrative of Jesus' passion. His name is Pontius Pilate. And as you'll remember, the Jews have already had two of the three trials of Jesus. These Jewish trials make a mockery of their judicial system. And we're going to see the third Jewish trial today, along with the three trials of the Romans. But before we get there, let me, let me really kind of set this whole thing up. Let me take us back just a few days. It's uh, around one o'clock in the morning on Friday morning. Judas Iscariot, he shows up, he betrays Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. we got the Roman officers, we've got the temple police, and we have the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, that's the Jewish Supreme Court. Those are the guys that are supposed to keep the laws and also make the laws. They're all with Judas at that moment to arrest Jesus. There could have been 1,000 people there to arrest one man. When they arrested Jesus, they they didn't take him to a holding cell in the temple. They Instead, they brought him to the house of Annas, who is the high priest emeritus. This was the first Jewish trial. Annas found Jesus not guilty. Now, he didn't say that, but his actions prove it. Because Annas sent Jesus across the courtyard, as you'll remember, over to his son-in-law's home, whose name is Caiaphas. Who just happens to be the reigning high priest. This is the second Jewish trial of Jesus. This, this happens about 3 a.m. And no matter how hard Caiaphas tried to condemn and to convict Jesus formally, he couldn't find any faithful witness or any testimony against Jesus. And we discussed all that last Sunday. And as we dive into this narrative this morning, it's really important to note here that the other three Gospels give much more detail on what we're getting ready to cover than Mark. Um, so we're going to harmonize the gospels here so we can, we can have a much more vivid picture of what takes place. But really today we're going to focus on this man named Pontius Pilate. Who is this man and why is he so important in the life of Jesus Christ? And then secondly, why do you care? Why do you care? Well, let's find out. If you would please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. Mark chapter 15, verses 1 and following, as soon as it was morning, having held a meeting with the elders and the scribes and the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priests tied Jesus up. They led him away and they handed him over to Pilate. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And the chief priest accused him of many things and Pilate questioned him again. Aren't you going to answer? I mean, look how many things they're accusing you of. But Jesus still did not answer. And so Pilate was amazed. Father in heaven, the psalmist writes, Teach me, Lord, the meaning of your statutes, and I will always keep them. Father, for those of us who have eyes to see and ears to hear, give us us that sight, allow us to hear your voice this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a seat, guys. Thank you. Take a deeper look here, starting in verse 1. So as soon as it was morning, having held a meeting with the elders and the scribes and the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priests, they tidied Jesus up, they led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate. So that phrase there, as soon as it was morning, go ahead and circle that phrase. That phrase is divine. It is glorious. It is magnificent. It is the power of God to save sinners is upon mankind this very day. The waiting is now over. Mankind has been waiting since Genesis 3.15 for this moment. And it's like God himself, he can't wait a moment longer to save humanity from sin from themselves. He, it's like God himself, he can't wait to save humanity from a very real place called hell and he cannot wait to save them for the kingdom of God. So it is morning, Luke, the gospel of Luke confirms that. Luke twenty-two sixty-six. when daylight came, the elders of the people, both the chief priest and the scribes, they convened And they brought Jesus before their Sanhedrin. So this is the third meeting. Uh, Really, it's a formality for the Jews. Probably didn't take very long. This is a legal necessity. They wanted to legalize their lawlessness. They wanted to give some kind of credence to every Jewish law that they broke the night before. Because they knew it was illegal to convict Jesus at night. They knew they were breaking the law by bribing witnesses. They, they knew it was detestable in God's sight for Jesus not to have his own defense. So they met a third time just to feel good about themselves as they lay their heads on their pillows tonight, thinking that somehow, some way, that they, they uh, fulfilled their duty with the justice system. And then secondly, they had to discuss what crime to charge Jesus with formally? What was his crime? What did Jesus do so wrong? What heinous act did Jesus perform that was worthy of death and death on a cross, by the way? Well, Pilate, he doesn't care one bit about all the Jews bickering about religious laws. So the Sanhedrin, they they chose to charge Jesus with something that they knew would get him crucified. What's the charge? Ah, claiming to be king and a new king, which obviously that's a severe offense to the Romans that is punishable by death. So the Jews, having found Jesus guilty, once again at this third trial, that they knew they had to get Jesus to Pilate around dawn. Why did they have to get Jesus in front of Pilate first thing in the morning? Well, the, the official workday of the Roman government started very, very early in the morning. Uh, Roman politicians only worked half days. I quote here, this is funny. They, they embarked on pursuits of leisure for the rest of the day. Oh, that's not a bad gig, huh? So Roman legal proceedings began at daybreak. Uh, Pilate heard cases from sunrise to about 9 a.m. So back to verse 1. They handed him over to Pilate. The play on words there. They handed him over. That is so significant. Uh, Jesus must be delivered up according to God's plan of salvation. The picture here. They handed him over. It's not that they're handing him over. It's that. God is the primary cause who is handing Jesus over. The Jews, they are a secondary cause. And we see this laid out in the book of Acts. Look at this. Peter is is speaking to the Jewish leadership at this point, Acts 2.23. Though he, so that's Jesus, though Jesus was delivered up according to whose plan? God's predetermined plan and foreknowledge. And then he says, you Jews, he's talking to the Jews. He says, you Jews, you used lawless people. Who are we talking about? The Romans. We're talking about the Romans. You guys used him to nail him to a cross. So in God's plan of salvation, God allowed the hatred of both the Jews and the Gentiles. So guys, all of mankind participated in murdering the anointed one. So the Jews, they arrive first thing in the morning. They're standing outside Pilate's headquarters. Um, The Gospel of John tells us what happened here in, in John 18, 28. So they did not enter the headquarters themselves. Otherwise, they would be defiled, and they would be unable to eat the Passover. So this verse is a prime example of why Jesus hates religion, These so-called religious men, they refuse to enter a Gentile's home because it's going to make them ceremonially unclean. But you know what? They've got no problem lying under oath and scheming and bribing all in an effort to murder the Son of God. They've got no problem with that. So they're going to pick and choose which laws they're going to uphold. So Pilate came out and he said to them, what charge do you bring against this man? And they answered, they said, Pilate, you know, if this man weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have handed him over to you. Well, you think, well, that's kind of snarky, isn't it? They don't, a- they don't answer Pilate's question. The Jewish Sanhedrin, they clearly do not want Pilate to hold another trial. In their minds, they already tried Jesus three times. They've already done it. Jesus is guilty. He deserves death. So in all reality, the Sanhedrin, they're trying to force Pilate to do their dirty work from the very, very start. They simply want Pilate to be the executioner. But Pilate's on to their game. Look at this. He says, you take him. You judge him according to your law. And he turns around and walks away. But before he could finish that sentence, it's like the Jews step in and they go, wait, 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 wait. It's not legal for us to put anyone to death. Now, let's pause for a second. We need to stop here and realize that the Old Testament prophesied how the Roman Empire would fulfill biblical prophecy at this point. Remember that the cross was foreshadowed in the Old Testament. We got Deuteronomy 21, Numbers 21, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Zechariah 12. And then secondly, Jesus was also very explicit about the cross in the Gospels, wasn't he? But here's the thing. The Jewish people did not use crucifixion as a form of execution. As you know, they, they carried out capital punishment by stoning people. So back to verse 31, they say, well, it's not legal for us to put anyone to death. So now they're, they're, they're concerned about the legalities of things after all the laws they've just broken. So the question is, well, wait a second. When did the Jews lose their authority of capital punishment? Because we know that earlier in the Gospels, the crowds threatened to, uh, to stone Jesus multiple times. We all know the story of the woman caught in adultery. So what happened? Well, the answer is found in a Jewish text called the Talmud, and the Talmud reveals the exact year that Israel lost its its authority for capital punishment, and that year is A.D. 30. It's also the same year that Jesus was crucified, April 7th, A.D. 30. So one of the reasons that the disciples were so confused about Jesus talking about crucifixion was that the Jews, they didn't crucify people. They threw stones at their head. That's how they took care of capital punishment. So if Jesus had been executed under Jewish law, he would have been stoned to death. Being stoned to death would make Jesus a prophet, so when Jesus kept saying to his disciples, my time has not come yet, this is one of their many, many reasons. All that to say this, in God the Father's perfect timing, God moved the Roman Senate to take away the power of capital punishment from Israel so that Jesus would die via crucifixion in the exact accordance to the scriptures. Dang! Dang! He did that a few months prior. Crazy. Crazy. This also applies to us today, guys. Key point number two. You look at how God moved in that administration. Key point number two, God is also working in our current administration, as he does in every administration, God is also working in our current administration as he does in every administration. Back to verse one, they handed him over to Pilate. So we have to pause and and, and ask this question. Who is this guy, Pilate? And and why does he all of a sudden, he just kind of shows up on the scene and he's got all of this authority over the Jews. How does this man have the authority over life and death? Well, this is the first mention of Pilate in the Gospel of Mark. So who is this man? Mark doesn't write any detailed information about Pilate because his original audience is the Romans. So they know who Pilate is. Uh, We don't. Uh, So think about this. Pilate is so important that the early church fathers, they wrote him into the very creeds of the Christian faith. You guys are familiar with the Apostles' Creed. Right, both Roman Catholic Church and the Protestants, the Protestant Church, use the Apostles' Creed, and if you grew up in church, you're very, very familiar with this. Let me show this to you. You guys, read this out loud with me. I believe in God, the Father of the Almighty, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit. So let's pause. It's understandable to have God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit in a creed like this. But why are the Virgin Mary? Why is Pontius Pilate, why are these guys mentioned? Why not the other players in Jesus' life? Why doesn't the Apostles' Creed read like this? Jesus was also betrayed by Judas Iscariot, denied by Simon Peter, and delivered up by the high priest Caiaphas. Why aren't those people in this creed? Why is Pilate, a Roman politician, why is he placed in one of the, important, the most important creeds in all of Christendom? Well, Pilate is the one who formally and judicially is responsible over the, the final judgment and the execution of Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, Pilate, is the, he's the person of public record. He's the one who issued the legal judgment to crucify the Son of God. And dear friends, that's a significant detail. So let's learn some background on Pontius Pilate. Pilate was born in Spain. He's a Roman citizen. He served as the, the governor, or uh, what Scripture says, the prefect, for just over 10 years. And as you know, the Roman Empire, it's an empire, right? However, Pilate was a low-ranking governor in the empire itself because no Roman wanted to rule Palestine. Palestine was considered one of the lowest rungs on the corporate ladder for a Roman politician. So ruling uh, the nation of Israel for more than a decade, it really wasn't a sign of, of success for Pilate. It was more of a sign of failure. So, why didn't Pilate move up the corporate ladder? Well, excuse me, he was known to overreact to situations that that he felt were threatening. Historians tell us uh, time and time again that Pilate was inept and that he was a, a heavy handed administrator. He also purposely provoked the Jews for his own entertainment. So for example, when Pilate first became governor, he decided to make a statement. So he deliberately insulted the Jews by flying Roman flags in the city of Jerusalem that had the image of Caesar on them. And as you know, the Romans consider Caesar a god. I mean, it's, it's number two on God's top 10 list, right? You stay away from images, you stay away from false gods. So the Jews were so offended by this Um, that they followed Pilate home that day and they walked nearly 70 miles, 7-0. When they got to his residence, they staged a nonviolent protest at Pilate's house for five days. At the end of five days, Pilate lost his patience. He lost his temper. He orders his soldiers to murder the Jews. But when the soldiers, uh, they went to the Jews and they said, look, you guys have two choices. You either leave right now unharmed or number two, we're going to kill you. When they heard that, the Jews literally pulled their clothes down and they went like this. They bared their throat so that the soldiers could have an easier time to slit their throat from ear to ear. They dared Pilate to kill a bunch of unarmed men. They told Pilate, you know what, we would rather die than for God to be humiliated like that. You don't do that in Jerusalem. So Pilate, obviously, he relents. He took down the flags from Jerusalem, but of course, news spread fast. The emperor heard, not good, not a good thing starting off your, your public record. In a second instance, and we can read about this in Luke 13. Uh, Pilate murdered a number of Galilean Jews who were bringing their sacrifices to the city of Jerusalem. And not only was murder a problem for Pilate, but also the chaos of what took place because the Galilean's blood was somehow mixed with the blood of the sacrifices to God. Obviously, that didn't go over well with the Jews either. Another time, Pilate was constructing a 23-mile-long aqueduct Uh, He wants to bring new water into the city of Jerusalem. That's the good news. The bad news is that he stole money from the Jews to do so. He walks into the temple. He steals from the treasury to pay for it. I mean, how would you like your tithing money to be stolen by the city so they can build a few more roundabouts? Yeah. Yeah. As you can imagine, this didn't go over well with the Jews either. So they started to protest. Pilate responds with violence. And at the end of the day, Pilate murdered and he trampled a large number of Jews. Fast forward, Pilate ultimately lost his job when he ordered his soldiers to attack Samaritans. That was really the the straw that broke the camel's back. The emperor fired Pilate, banished him from Rome, and Pilate was so humiliated by this, he committed suicide. So, this is the kind of man that the Jews bring Jesus to. And as we know, we now know, Pilate has zero tolerance for the Jews, he despises them. Back to verse two Pilate asks Jesus, he says, Are you the king of the Jews? All four Gospels have the same identical question. The pronoun there, pronoun you, is emphatic. Are you the king of the Jews? Pilate's tone is that of arrogance and contempt. Scorn, he's surprised. And as Pilate looks at Jesus, it is absolutely ridiculous that this man, this Jesus of Nazareth, claims to be the king of the Jews. I mean, picture the scene. Jesus' face is beaten, bruised, and bloodied. Remember now that the Jews have been beating on Jesus for the past four or five hours. His clothes, they're stained with dirt, sweat, and blood. So y- y'all have that picture yeah. in mind? All right. Does Jesus at this moment, does he appear to be a king to you? No. Looking like that? No. No. He doesn't look like a king to Pilate either, so Pilate's question just dripped with scorn and sarcasm. And yet, at the same time, the Jews, they have to make Jesus appear to be a threat to Rome. He, he, he has to be some kind of dangerous revolutionary that was out for Caesar's job. I mean, even the Jews' logic here makes no sense. Now, Pilate may be crazy, but he's not dumb. Pilate knows that if Jesus were a true revolutionary, the Jews would hide him and then they would join in his rebellion. They're not going to bring him to Pilate. So Pilate, Pilate asked, Are you the king of the Jews? Notice here, he didn't say, Are you the Messiah? Because Pilate doesn't give a rip about the Messiah. The most important question from Pilate's perspective he is an official of the Roman government. So, Pilate is concerned with this. Are you really a competitor to Caesar? Are you out for Caesar's job? So, Pilate, verse 2, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, he said, "Hmm, You say so. You say so. If you have the NIV translation, uh, verse 2 translates, You have said so. If you have the New King James Version or the NASB, Uh, That translates it as, it is as you say. Jesus' answer here has been grossly misinterpreted, misunderstood. Jesus' wording, it it sounds a bit strange to us in the 21st century. So we have to understand what Jesus is doing. He's he's responding with Pilate's own words, not Jesus' words. Because Jesus, he, he doesn't deny the title, the king of the Jews, but Pilate said that. Pilate said, are you the king of the Jews? That was not his preferred title. But make no doubt about it, he is most definitely affirming that he's a king. Now, from Pilate's perspective, he's a strange and puzzling king, but he is a king nonetheless. So what Jesus is saying to Pilate is, yes, I am a king, but it's not what you think. It's not what you think, Pilate. I'm not out for Caesar's job. I, could give, I care less about Caesar's job. So Jesus' answer implies that, that his, his answer is open for, for more discussion. And we see this discussion in, in John's Gospel, chapter 18, verse 33. Pilate went back to the headquarters, summoned Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, well, are you, are you asking on your own? Or have others told you about me? Oh, come on, Jesus, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests, they handed you over to me. So what have you done? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Ah, so you are a king then. Well, you say that I'm a king. Jesus replied, I was born for this, and I have come into the world for this, and that is to testify to the truth. So even though the Jews found Jesus guilty three times, Pilate does not. So look at verse 38 here. After he had said this, he went out to the Jews again, and, he, and Pilate tells them, I find no grounds for charging him. That, word, that, that phrase there, I find, that is legal language that determines a verdict. And it's still used today in our courts. But the Jews, they did find grounds. So back to our text in verse 3, the chief priest accused him of many things. What things? We find those things in Luke chapter 23, verse 2. Well... Pilate, we found this man misleading our nation, opposing payment taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is a Messiah. He is a king. So in other words, they're accusing Jesus of treason, tax evasion, and terrorism. And as we all know, right, we've been spending the last 19 months in Mark's gospel, verse 5. And we know that those things right there, those are outright lies. Jesus is not an insurrectionist. He he never promoted rebellion. Jesus never even hinted at civil disobedience against Rome. The truth is, is that he taught people how and why to pay their taxes. Jesus also physically avoided people who tried to make him king by force. So while the Sanhedrin continued to spew out all of these lies Verse 4, Pilate questioned him again. He says, Jesus, aren't you going to answer? Come on, man. Look look, look how many things they're accusing you of. Jesus' silence is his answer. See, Jesus, he remains silent, but, but Pilate wants him to respond to these charges because Pilate is following Roman law. Roman law centered on the indictment so you have to have the listing of the charges, the defendant re- responds, so Jesus is supposed to respond to that, and then Pilate makes the decision. The, the problem with, that Pilate has with Jesus is that Jesus doesn't respond. So key point number three: Jesus trusts in God the Father to provide the answer to those charges. Jesus trusts. In God the Father to provide the answer to the charges. So, in other words, Jesus did his job for the past three years. Jesus was obedient to the Father. He proclaimed the gospel to Israel. Jesus healed the sick. He cast out demons. And now Jesus watched quietly for the Father to act. What's the problem with waiting on God to act? The problem's the waiting. Y'all with me? God's timing is not our timing. We all want to be delivered from pain and suffering right now. And in in Jesus' circumstance, before the truth is revealed, Jesus has to be humiliated, he has to suffer, and he has to die the worst death a human being can ever endure. Verse 5. Jesus still did not answer, and so Pilate was amazed. So Jesus did not answer, and Pilate was amazed. Why is Pilate so amazed? Because Pilate is used to, to people begging and pleading for their lives. He's never seen a person this calm or confident. The, the demeanor of Jesus just really caught him off guard. This is, Je, Pilate has never seen a prisoner like this before, Ever. Jesus is not acting like a treasonous, tax-evading terrorist that the Sanhedrin are making him out to be. Brings us to key point number four. Jesus was not acting like he was getting ready to die because he wasn't. Jesus was not acting like he was getting ready to die because ultimately he wasn't. Jesus' composure facing, facing death amazed Pilate, as well, sh- as well as it should because Jesus is no ordinary prisoner. Pilate had no idea that Jesus was fulfilling Old Testament scripture at this moment. The prophet Isaiah says this, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a, a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. Who's Isaiah talking about? Jesus. See, it's at this moment where Pilate is convinced of Jesus's innocence. And this is also the moment where Pilate learns that Jesus is a Galilean. So Pilate thinks to himself, oh, you're a Galilean. This is Herod's problem. This isn't my problem. Luke tells us this part of the story, Luke 23, 6. When Pilate heard this, he asked if the man was a Galilean. Finding out that he was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod. Herod was in Jerusalem during those days. Herod was very glad to see Jesus. I bet he was. For a long time, he had wanted to see him because Herod, he, wanted, he had heard about him and was hoping to see some kind of miracle. He wanted to see a fancy magic trick. So he kept asking him questions, but Jesus did not answer him. So Jesus did not answer Herod because Herod has no real authority. He's just a puppet king. Pilate is the one with real authority. And this is amazing. Verse 10, the chief priests and the scribes, they stood by vehemently accusing Jesus. They're just following Jesus around wherever they go. And they're spewing the same lies over and over and over. There's just a broken record. Verse 11, Herod his soldiers, they treated Jesus with contempt. They mocked him. They dressed him in bright clothing. That's king's clothing. And they sent him back to Pilate. So Herod sent Jesus back to Pilate. And once again, this proves that Jesus is innocent. Both Pilate and Herod saw the religious freak show for what it was. And at this point, Pilate and Herod Nobody's making any decisions, so the the Sanhedrin, they're getting angry about this. Nobody's taken ownership of Jesus. They work themselves up into this frenzy. They become an angry mob, and now Pilate has a tougher decision than ever before. See, from a political perspective, Pilate, once again, he's been warned. He's been warned by Rome. Uh, You can't be this heavy-handed with people. You just can't start killing people like you've done in the past because you don't like the way that they're acting. And then all of a sudden, Pilate has an idea. Ding. Ah, I know what's gonna get me out of this mess. What's the idea? Ah, you'll have to come back next Sunday. I'm gonna be here and it's gonna be great. I want to focus on verse 5 as we wrap up today's message. Pilate was amazed. Pilate was amazed at Jesus, and and Pilate's a Gentile. Over 10 years of ruling Palestine, Pilate had sentenced, you know, a lot of people to death via crucifixion. He watched many people beg for their lives. He watched many people suffer. He watched many uh, countless crucifixions. And yet no one acted or responded like Jesus to Pilate. And throughout the gospels we see many people amazed with Jesus. After Jesus calmed the storm in Matthew 8:27 the men were amazed. What kind of man is this? Good night, even the winds and the sea obey this guy. Wow. After Jesus drove out a demon in Matthew 9.33, when the demon had been driven out, the man who had been mute, he spoke in the crowds, they were amazed, saying, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. When Jesus taught Nicodemus, John 3.7, Jesus said, do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. Now, there are also two times in the Gospels where Jesus is amazed. And both instances deal with faith. Jesus was amazed by the people in his own hometown of Nazareth. In Mark 6, 6, Jesus was amazed at their unbelief. Jesus was also amazed during the the hearing of of a centurion's faith who was also a Gentile. Matthew 8, 10. Hearing this, Jesus was amazed, and he said to those following him, truly I listen to you. Truly, I tell you, in other words, listen up, I've not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith. And the man's a Gentile, not a Jew. So the question becomes, what is it that amazes you? What astonishes you? What marvels you about Jesus? Does the fact that Jesus is the the Alpha and the Omega amaze you? Revelation 1.8, that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith? Hebrews 12.2, that Jesus is eternal life. He is eternal life. 1 John 5.20, you, do you marvel that, that Jesus is the only one who is both faithful and true? Revelation 19.11. Are you astonished that Jesus is the image of the invisible God? Colossians 1.15. Or maybe that he's the king of all kings in Revelation 19.16. Does it astonish you that God himself is the lamb? The lamb of God that took away the sin of the world? John 1.29. Or maybe he's the Lord of lords in Revelation 19.16. Are you without peace this very day? Jesus is the Prince of Peace, Isaiah 9.6. Does that astonish you? Or maybe He's the righteous judge. He's the only one who's going to treat you fairly, 2 Timothy 4.8. And that He's the Savior of the whole world, John 4.42. What about this? That He is your true shepherd and He's your overseer, not of just your life, but of your soul, 1 Peter 2.25. Does it amaze you that he is your life, Colossians 3, 3, and that he is your salvation, Ephesians 1, 13. And I could go on and on and on and on all day long, right? But maybe a better question is this, is is Jesus amazed with you? Is he amazed with you and your life? Does he look at your life? Are you like the centurion? Is Jesus amazed that you are an obedient child of God sharing the good news of the gospel with those in the Verde Valley? Does he marvel that you're applying his word to your life? Not perfectly, but increasingly. Is Jesus astonished? Is he smiling down upon you because you're doing your part in fulfilling the great commission? You know the three circles, You've been handing out those blue cards. You've been giving out those Bibles. Or or is Jesus amazed that you're so fearful of the world? Is Jesus looking at your life and comparing you to, to the people that were living in his hometown in Nazareth because of their unbelief that Jesus does not have control over this mess that we see? Is he more amazed that you're more concerned about politics and COVID? than the souls of those here in the Verde Valley. What do you spend more time talking about? COVID or Jesus? If you were to tally up those two words at the end of the day, how many times would COVID come up and how many times would Jesus come up? Jesus was amazed twice in the Gospels. One, one for faithlessness and the other for faithfulness faithfulness faithlessness i think that's a really good question to ponder this week father in heaven what an amazing text of scripture you have given us today just like you do every single sunday father may we be amazed ourselves that you of all people, have decided to save sinners. You've taken our hearts, you've ripped them out of our chest. They were, they were hard, they were cold, they did not love you and they did not love people. But only by your grace did you give us a new heart, a heart to love you and a heart to love people. It is amazing, Lord God, that the only way that you could save our wretched souls is through your son. May we never get over that fact. May we be astonished with the gospel. May we preach the gospel to ourselves every morning. We, may our lives never be cold, that we're just used to it. We just take your grace for granted. Father, forgive us for that. Draw us near. Let us fall in love with you all over again every single day and realize you're the one who saved our soul. You're the one who is in complete control even when things seem out of control. You're so good to us, Father. We love you and may we ponder these deep things this week and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.